So hi everyone, welcome to the first episode of the Cornelian podcast. My name is Angel and I am one of the editor-in-chiefs of the Cornelian, which used to be a newspaper, but during this pandemic, we decided to transition into a podcast. As a team, we believe that it was important to have conversations with people, especially with the state of the world right now. We will be discussing issues in the Cornell community and we will be inviting guests. If you have any suggestions, questions, or if you would like to join our team, please don't hesitate to email us. For this episode, we have invited two of our students and a staff member to talk about political diversity and what it means for the college. There has been so much political tension, and I know it is important to talk about this because it affects everyone in our community. I read a quote from Howard Gardner, great leaders provide leadership in two principal ways, through the stories they tell, and through the kind of lives they lead. As a journalist, it is my job to ask the right questions and help you tell your story. I do not know each of you well, but leading an organization in this time is courageous. So that says a lot about you and I commend you for that. So enough of me and let's jump right into it. So hello everyone, um, thank you for accepting my invitation. I know it's the third week and we're all busy, but before I start asking questions, I would like each of you to introduce yourselves to the Cornell community. Um, let's start with you, Blake. Uh, well, hi, I'm Blake Thornton. I am currently a junior uh, at the school, um, and I am the chairman of the College Republicans here at campus. I'm Isabella Boto. I am a senior here at Cornell, and I am on the steering committee for YDSA, which is the Young Democratic Socialists of America. Hello, um, I am Hemi Collier, and I am a freshman, no, uh, no, I am a Senior Diversity Officer, um, Director of Intercultural Life, and Assistant Women's Lacrosse Coach. So, I'm wondering, growing up, was politics ever discussed in your home? Um, and if so, what did this, those discussions look like? And how did those conversations shape your current beliefs? Let's start with you, Hemi. Okay. Um, not as much as that as you may think. Um, so both of my parents are were born and raised in West Africa. Um, my mom is Liberian and my dad is uh, Sierra Leone. Um, so our conversations weren't so much, hey, you know, look at just this party. It was just understanding what's going on in the news. I mean, like, like my earliest uh, memories of, of understanding politics and watching politics um, I might have been six or seven, maybe even eight. And my dad used to watch headline news. I think Jennifer's probably the only person that could probably remember that. Um, so there was things, it was the headline news was like the, one of the first like consistent news channels like CNN or Fox News and things like that. And so I just remember sitting and my dad would lay on the couch and I would like sit in between his legs and, and I'm just like watching the news. Right. And so, um, it was more so my the conversations in my household would just watch the news and kind of understand it. And as when I was younger, I was like, eh, can we watch something different? But then as I got older, I started to uh, fully realize and kind of see what's going on. Um, you know, and I think my first memory of really watching the political climate was age of myself was the 92 election. Um, and I remember watching it in my fifth grade class uh, or yeah, we were watching, we watched the debates and then we just talked about it. Um, so yeah, so it wasn't a, hey, you need to vote this way. It was just watch it, understand it, and just know what's going on. 
Um, so we, uh, in my household, we really didn't talk too much politics um, until I got uh, sort of into high school and middle school. Because um, around that time, it's, uh, you know, the second uh, re-election of uh, President Barack Obama. And so around that time, we were, you know, doing a lot of, you know, watch the debates, come back to school, tell us what you thought about them. Um, and then, you know, that continued into high school with the 2016 election. Um, and I think those were the only two times that I really ever talked politics um, at home. But I guess kind of what my my politics were formed out of was just kind of how I was raised um, and things kind of just what we did. We didn't watch too much news uh, just because we were, you know, working and stuff. And so it, my politics were kind of formed out of that more than just kind of like watching the TV and uh, listening to politicians. Um, yeah, growing up for me, politics was discussed in my home. Both my parents considered themselves liberal Democrats. And I remember the inauguration of Obama in 2009 and everyone around me being very excited about that. I was also aware of international politics um, as well since I have family in and from Central America, and my dad's family is originally from Palestine. So I was just generally brought up with a very inclusive and diverse family, family as well as community, and I was raised to get along with everyone regardless of race, religion, income, or sexuality. So the reason I asked that, I was actually browsing through... Um, Facebook the other day, and one of my friends, Sarah, she um, shared this post um, about like college makes you more liberal or more Republican. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Um, do you agree with that, or just at college in general? How has that shaped your politics? Um, my college experience um, it's very honestly, it's very different than where you all are at now. It's um, as I said, you know, my freshman year in college was the two thousand um, was the two was the was the, was the two thousand election, right? And so that was the first time I voted. Um, that was the first time yeah, I was I was I was gung ho, and at that time I'm like, yeah, Democrats, right? You know, and that's and that was my, you know, and everything was Democrat, Democrat, but I didn't. But I was, but I was always mindful of thinking critically, right? Thinking, okay, let me make sure I see both sides of the coin. And so, what really made me try understand, not necessarily looking at polit, um, um, party politics, but actually looking at like issue politics. So I took a, it was, I took a political science course my freshman year in college, and um, I was, I was supposed to be the press secretary for the John McCain um, ticket. Um, and so we were supposed to put on this whole, we went through an election. And so, and, and I, we were up against, uh, George Bush because it was the primaries. And so I'm like, I'm like, oh boy, oh boy, it's, uh, you know, it's about to probably going to read this stuff and not like anything. And so I'm going through his issues and I'm just like, yo, I like this. Okay. This makes sense. I really like this. And so, and so for me, my, my education is a huge issue for me, right? in terms of politics. And so I, I'm looking at his, his education views. I'm like, yo, this is, this is dope. I like everything about this. And so, and, and once again, as an 18 year old freshman, I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not supposed to like this because he's a Republican. And then I think at that, at that moment is when I was like, okay, 
I need to start looking at it as, in terms of policy as opposed to just party. Um, so for me, me being in college, I, I chuckle at that when you're like, no, when you're in college, it, it forces you to go one way or the other. And I, and I think in some ways, unfortunately, it does. But I don't think that's, that's not necessarily the intention of higher of college. College is supposed to force you to think critically. And it forces you, it's, it's supposed to force you to think, take, even take a look at what you're, you're looking at and think about, like, okay, is this, is this where I need to align myself and vice versa? So for me, it forced me to understand uh, both, both sides of the field, so to speak. Um, so I, I agree uh, with Hemi and things that, you know, college uh, is sort of this time to, you know, kind of, you know, really get down, look at the issues and maybe not, you know, necessarily decide a party to be a part of, but just to kind of just be aware of, you know, what are they talking about? You know, who, who do I agree with more, you know, come this election or that, that election um, and kind of coming into college. Um, I, I didn't have that strong of political beliefs at all. Um, I, those started to form uh, kind of as I was uh, in college and, you know, the, it seemed that, you know, this election started a little earlier than most elections. So it kind of forced you to start paying attention to the issues uh, much sooner. Um, and that's kind of how I, I got this position is because I guess I started to express some of those uh, positions. So I, I was kind of, um, thrown into the position of becoming the, the chairman of this group. And I guess uh, I, maybe I don't necessarily, um, you know, agree with the party a hundred percent of the time, but it's nice just to be able to take and make sure that at least their views are being presented uh, on the campus. Um, just so that way, those that maybe don't always have the time to look at the issues can just have the chance to talk to us and just, you know, hear a little bit about it. I agree with Blake's last point about um, representing um, a political belief on campus and just generally being a resource for anybody who's interested in that. And I, well, it's interesting because my family, I mentioned earlier that my parents both considered themselves liberal Democrats as I was growing up. And um, it, it came to the point, especially with um, the campaign of Bernie Sanders, that my family became more leftist, more socialist. So um, even before I was in college, I was familiar with socialism and um, definitely being in college and studying history. I have just gotten a further education and understanding of all of these terms and also just becoming friends with people who are so smart and they teach me so much and I'm, I'm so very grateful for them. So um, that's another part, part of college is the education that the people around you give you, not just in class. Since, yeah, since we're talking about college. Um, so Hemi, I've heard that you have a new position. So congratulations on that one. Um, so you mentioned in your bio, upon accepting the position that you want every student to feel at home at Cornell. Do you feel like that has been achieved, especially with the current social climate? No, not in the least bit. <laughs> um, and I say that because, um, at least in terms of, oh, well, for one, thank you. Thank you for the congratulations. Um, I say that not in the least bit, because um, it's, it's, for me, this is a new position. You know, I took, this, I took over this role in, I want to say June 
Um, and so, you know, that type of change or that type of, of thought process, um, that, that's going to take time. You know, any, any, any time when you're trying to change the culture of anything, um, it takes time. Um, you know, in, implementing a culture is, is it's a lot of work. It's, it takes a community as well. So, so no, um, I don't think we've achieved, achieved that, but that is definitely the goal. Um, you know, to kind of, kind of take it off, you know, like as a, as students, when you all come here, this should, this, you all should feel comfortable, like feeling, you should feel like, you know, you have a space, you have a voice, you have an area to where you can do the things you need to do to learn, right? Um, you know, as long as, and, and I always say, as long as what you're doing is not detrimental to the community, um, as long as what you're doing is you're not, or you're not intentionally trying to be detrimental to the, to the community, then let's, let's have these conversations on, um, and that's part of diversity. You know, people think, usually when people think diversity, it's always, um, race and ethnicity, race and ethnicity, and it stops there. No, you know, it doesn't stop just there. You know, it's, you know, gender, it's sexual orientation, it's political views, it's whatever. Um, and so my goal, what I, how I want to, for how I, what, how I want to achieve this goal of people having, um, feeling, having a place at home is to create this space to where you folks can voice their opinions, right? Um, whether it's in, as if like this platform, you know, voice your opinions, you know, and, um, whether we agree with, <laughs> whether we agree or not, that's fine. Um, at least, at, at least have the DC to respect them, respect them and their opinions. Now, there are, there are probably one or two things that I won't, <laughs> I, I won't necessarily uh, back down from. Racism is one. Um, you know, if you're, if you're being a racist individual, um, sorry, I, I, I won't compromise with that. I'm not, there's, there's nothing that we have a conversation about. Now, if you're, if we have uh, different political views, cool, let's have a conversation. Because um, as I said earlier, you know, I want, I want to try to understand better where you're coming from. You know, now, what, whether I walk out of that situation agreeing with you or not, that's beside the point. I like, once again, you don't have to agree with me and my political views and whatever. I just want you to understand where I come from. Now, if you agree at walking out, great. No, if you don't, so be it. Um, and that's, and that's the environment that I, I hope to create, um, where you all can learn from one another. Once again, you don't have to agree with one another. You know, you're never, you're not going to agree with everyone. Um, but as long as what you're doing and what you're saying, is not intentionally detrimental to someone, um, or if or if you do say something that is detrimental to you, one of your classmates, you recognize it, you understand it. Okay, you know what? What I said was X, Y, Z. That wasn't my intention, but I understand how, how you were impacted by that. Great, let's move forward. But if you want, if you're like, no, I said what I said, but it's detrimental, then that's when there's a, there's that's when it, there's an issue. So if a student does not feel like, I mean, let's say, um, if a student does not feel like they are at home at Cornell, um, do you think there are safe spaces or groups on campus um, that could help them find them at home? And I know you are in the diversity committee and actually my team and I were talking, um, we're wondering who is actually in the diversity committee? I was, yes, there are places for, um, people, there are safe spaces um, and part of, and that's part of, ICLs, that's always been a part of ICL's mission, is to create these spaces for people who have, um, from certain identities, to have a space to where they can talk and learn and, and, and have a space where they can quote unquote be themselves or whatever, right? Um, you know, you have the, you know, 
um, the college Republicans, you have, well, the new group, I don't, I'm sorry, Isabella, if I, if I'm, I don't know your new group's name, uh, but you know, you, 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 uh, we have groups like Isabella's group, you know, we have Baco, we have Union and so on and so on, all these different group, groups where you can go and um, either learn, um, you could educate other people, and whatever it is, whatever, whatever, whatever space that the, it creates. So we do have these groups. Um, and, and, and it's, and it's part of, honestly, it's not, it's part of not only my job as a senior diversity office, it's part of all of our jobs to promote these groups. Right. Um, so let's say Blake, I'm using for an example to say, you know, Blake being the, um, the college Republican rep, someone walks up to him like, Hey, you know, and you may say he may not know them, but Hey, you know, do you know who the, I want to, I'm, I'm a, I'm a Democrat and I want to join X, Y, Z. Um, you may know, hey, my name is Blake Thornton. I am the rep for college um, Republicans, but you can contact X, Y, Z. Um, you can contact this person. They can help you um, and vice versa. So that's what it should look like. Um, and that's, that's, how you, that's how you build a community. And then what was your second question again? I'm sorry. So I asked for like safe spaces and groups and um, who is on the diversity committee? Because not a lot of... Um, students actually know that committees exist in the college, believe mm -hmm. it or not. Um, so, yeah, I kind of want you to expand on that. Yes. So the diversity committee uh, makes, um, it is made up of faculty members, staff members, um, students, and I guess administrators. I guess you can put me as a, an administrator. I'm using my air quotes here. Um, so it's made up of all these people. Um, so right now it's myself, Christy Johnson, who's a faculty member, Tori Barnes Brooms is a faculty member, Stephanie Gray, Emily Beeler, student, um, Mary Olson, faculty, um, Anna Butts, Tia Western, Annual Bus, um, uh, Samantha Hevel, Emma Coles, Sage Parker, Armani Rogers, Cleo Sullivan, Casey Tobin, Jalen Webb, and Stephen Sachs. Um, these are all the members of, that are on the uh, diversity committee. Um, and we try to we try to make sure that as many spaces are represented on the diversity committee. Because um, you know, if um, you know when you talk about diversity, once again, it's not it's, this, it's not a one sided thing, right? It's not a one sided issue. Diversity goes across the board. Um, so there are students, faculty, staff, um, administrators. Um, politically, you have left, right. Um, male, female, so on and so on, right? Um, so we try to make sure it's, 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 it's as diverse as possible. So there, um, there were recent announcements um, and emails from Student Life. Um, they have reiterated a signposting policy that many students took as directed towards science, towards the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, so what is your response to that? And this is a question for all, by the way. Um, because several signs were up last year um, that were like saying "Make America Great Again" or Trump 2020. How do you feel about that? If the policy was only brought up now rather than then as well, I'm not entirely sure. I had also heard rumor that there were also uh, like Trump flags and MAGA signs that were also up this year as well, um, and that could have also been the reason for it. Uh, although I think it, it's more of just because I believe I think from at least what I saw, there were more signs this year and much larger signs. Um, and I think it's more of a, a safety issue if you can't, you know, say your door is blocked by a fire and you can't get out, you know, you have to go through the window. 
So they, it, it's kind of a safety issue there. So I personally don't ever put anything in my windows. Um, if it was something that was um, done because of a certain sign being in windows, I, I could see that as being a, a major problem if they hadn't brought it up the year before and they chose to only do it now. Um, but I mean, considering from what I've heard that there were a, a wide variety of signs from kind of both sides, uh, I, I think it, it's okay, especially given their size, that it was something that just kind of had to be said for safety issues. I had not been aware of all of um, any safety issues. So it was uh, kind of, it was a big shock when the school sent out that email. And I, I did feel like it could have had to do with um, BLM signs. And if that is the case, then um, I, I do think, I do think that that is a very bad thing. Um, and yeah, I, I had just never heard in the past of any bands like this. So I think especially now, since we're more isolated more than ever and windows, I mean, I, I agree if they are a safety hazard of any kind, then yeah, sure. But I don't remember that in the email, them mentioning that. Um, but now I think signs and windows are an outlet to share information and beliefs and political opinions, certainly. And the ban should be lifted for those reasons, I think, and also just to make life more interesting when you're walking around here on campus. And if there is a case of hate speech or signs that incite violence or are inappropriate, um, then I think that the school could directly contact the person who has it up. I think that that would be a more productive course of action. If there is a problem with a specific sign, Kimi, do you still live on campus? Yeah, I'm still here. Oh, okay, so um, I assume you've seen those signs, right? Yes, I've seen both um, BLM signs. I've seen um, um, Trump 2020 signs and everything in between, right? Um, so now, while while I'm not, not I'm not trying to take myself out of it by with this next statement, but it is what it is. Uh, well, I'm not necessarily in those discussions on on making that decision one way or the other. Um, but what I can say is, um, I think with with it, this was from what I understand, this has been a, a rule since I think since 1853, since the school opened. Right? I don't know. Who knows? Right? Um, but I think when when you're thinking about the times that we're in, and it's not not even just 2020. Um, when you're looking at different election years, um, 2020, 2016, 12, 8, whatever, whatever, right? Um, whether it's consistent or not, um, you do have to move differently, right? You have to enforce things a little bit, little bit differently. Um, and so from what I understand, people were like, yeah, well, you know, we've, we've done it in the past. Why not now? Um, you know, and part, part of it is where part of it, it's rural, you know, and then two, um, these are different times that we're dealing with, right? Um, and yeah, and I will also say, side note: no, it, it, there there wasn't one one side one way or the other that it, that made this decision. It was like, oh, BLM, because um, if you didn't notice, there was a Black Lives Matter on the kiosk, right? Um, and that I think I was up for about a week almost. Um, and then there were, you know, um, I don't think it was put in Trump twenty twenty. Uh, on a kiosk just yet, um, but in in terms of windows, it's been a rule since, as far as I know, since day one. So there wasn't a it wasn't a decision for one way or the other. Like, oh, we've seen all these Black Lives Matter 
um, uh, signs or we're seeing all these um, Trump 2020 signs up, let's tell them that they can't do it now uh, because of this. Um, it, uh, I think it's, 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 there, it wasn't a necessarily, once, once again, one side or the other, it was just, you know, the, these are the rules that we have in place. And I think with, with the political climate being as, as tight as it is now, as, as, as hostile as it is now, you know, I think the thought process was, let's, let's, really, let's really make sure we, and no one can put anything up um, and really enforce this rule heavily. Um, I mean, you can argue, um, I'm sure students can argue, well, you need to be more consistent one way that you could argue that, but um, I will say that's not, that's not, that's, I can't make that decision one way or the other, but I think when we're, when we're trying to make sure we're looking out for everybody, um, that's, those are, those are the tough decisions that, that need to be made. I hope that answers, I hope that answers your question. Yeah, it does. Um, Cause um, you know, I've been here for four years and a lot of people, um, a lot of the students that I've talked to feel like they have to self-censor. Um, and these are mostly for my conservative friends. And, but I also want to ask, um, the liberals also feel like they have to self-censor? Do I feel like they have to self-censor? Liberals. Liberals. Yep. Um, I, don't, I don't think anyone has to self-censor. Um, mm-hmm. uh, it goes back to what I said earlier. As long as what you're saying isn't um, detrimental to, or intentionally trying to be detrimental to the um, to the campus, then um, you, or at least you shouldn't have to self censor. Um, I think when you're putting certain things up, um, whether whether you're liberal or conservative, um, you know, as you're painting or whatever you put it up, you're gonna know. I right, this is going to be inflammatory right this is going to um this is going to get people moving a little bit um but no no i don't you, you shouldn't have to self-censor yourself as long as what you're saying isn't um intentionally trying to incite some type of negative reaction if that makes sense now i'm sure some people may disagree with me but um no you shouldn't have to how about you too um i I agree with Himi. Um, I think, like you said, more than ever, uh, with this hostile election coming up and just tensions rising, um, there's just this feeling that people with this growing tension do not want to upset or disrespect anyone. So I think that everyone should always be feel free to share their opinions, but those opinions will not be respected if they disrespect someone else's existence. So that's just going off of what Hemi said earlier. Um, so I, I think that everyone should be able to express, um, you know, their opinions, especially in this, you know, country where we're, you know, given that as the, you know, first thing in our Bill of Rights, you know, you know, right to free speech and um, everything else included within that. Um, I know within my group, though, um, we have several members. Um, that feel that they can't uh, express themselves, that they do have to self-censor, whether it be in the classroom or just if they want to help us with an event, that they'll just stay kind of distant and just kind of look from a distance. Um, I know that just trying to get the group off the ground was uh, fairly difficult too. I know we had kind of been uh, attacked in in a sense uh, where the group's meetings were being booked over our rooms are being canceled and stuff. Um, so it, 
it does seem a little hostile. Um, but I hope that as you know this election comes to pass, that you know things can you know calm and we can you know start to heal you know the divides that have occurred since 2016, and that hopefully we can you know meet in the middle again and be able to take and discuss civilly amongst ourselves. So Blake, um, what do you mean like booked over? Like other people were taking down your meetings. Um, can you elaborate more on that? Um, yes. So. Very early on in the process of trying to, you know, get, you know, the word out there that, yes, this group is back on campus, somebody's actually running it. Um, I had posted uh, a large sign on uh, the commons just saying like, hey, we're holding a meeting this day in this room uh, at this time. Um, as I later found out, the room that uh, had been booked had been booked over. Um, so there was another group put in uh, place of that so that way we couldn't use that room for a meeting. Um, I, this information was relayed to me by uh, Student Senate. They held um, their investigations and dealt with it as I've been told. Um, and since then we haven't experienced um, any problems of that sort. So, you know, I think we're on, on a way to, you know, being accepted again. Um, and being able to take and show our, or at least let our voice be heard. Yeah, I just have a, a quick thing to say. Um, so YDSA is a new group here um, on campus, and we have had a few meetings, and we haven't encountered anything like Blake you're saying, but definitely from talking to other school chapters um, that we're um, in contact with, they just because the word socialist, communist, um, is still received with a lot of backlash. Um, so we have been advised by other people within the organization to, um, you know, be careful with QR codes for Zoom meetings because um, people will get a hold of that and they'll come in and um, abuse members or something. So it's definitely, um, yeah, I, I would say it can be similar in the fact that oh, some some socialists or communists um, just feel like they should also um, be quiet or not um, loudly say their um, political beliefs, which I think generally is a very common thing, especially right now. Yeah, that's pretty sad. But um, go ahead, Amy. Sorry, real quick. So um, I do want to like, so I do kind of touch on this question a little bit more. Um, I do remember having a conversation with uh, a young student last year um, who, who identifies as a as a conservative, and I remember him expressing that, like he um, expressed saying that, you know, hey, he feels like, you know, he has to censor himself with him being a conservative student and so on and so on. Um, and so we talked, and um, we ended up just kind of talking about a lot of different things, and, and one of the things that I, I talked to him about is um, that shouldn't be the case, as I said earlier. Um, and that's and that's part of my role as a senior diversity officer, right? Is to make sure that you not you don't have to self censor if you're if you're if you're if you're literally keeping it political, so to speak, right? Um, it's like, hey, I just know I'm a conservative guy. Great, you should be you no, know, you should be able to do that. And so that's part of my is part of my goal is to make sure that you don't have to self censor yourself. Once again, as long as you're not being detrimental to the uh, to the community, and I think. Um, you all know what that means when I say don't, as long as you're not being detrimental, right? Everyone kind of can 
I think we all can sit here and agree what's detrimental, what's not detrimental. Um, so yeah, so I, I, I wanted to kind of add to that. I do remember having that conversation and that is a goal. You know, that is a small goal and maybe even just personal goal so that you all can have these, um, these spaces where you can talk, uh, even on a broader level. So, well, we talked about students or even staff members having to self-center. And I was browsing, um, this is a question specifically for Isabella. I was actually browsing um, posters on, um, that related to the Black Lives Matter movement. And it says, and it says um, white silence is violence. I have not seen that at Cornell. Um, could you elaborate on this phrase, Isabella? And um, what are your personal feelings on this? Yeah, so um, my general understanding is that the phrase white silence is violence refers to white people's role in this call for racial justice um, that has sparked thousands of protests worldwide and is all over social media. And I kind of think of it that it is similar to the analogy of bullying, where if you witness bullying and you say nothing, you're part of the problem. And the issues that Black Americans face in this country cannot be remedied if white people ignore the problems. So uh, it's just a very privileged and neglectful thing to do to turn your back on an issue that makes you uncomfortable or one that you have no experience with personally. Um, so I believe that no change will come about until everyone faces the truth of systemic racism and works towards a better and just more just future for all. I, I agree with that. Um, you know, and one, one thing where I think where we first, where we kind of drop the ball a lot of times, like when we talk about like Black Lives Matter, things like that, um, we turn it into a, a politicized debate, right? Um, you know, when, you, when, we're, when we're talking about uh, racial injustice, that's not, which shouldn't be a Republican or Democrat conversation, liberal, uh, liberal, conservative conversation. That, that, that should just be a conversation of between humans as, hey, something's going on with, um, something's going on and we need to fix it. So I agree, I agree with Isabella in, this, in the sense that, um, you know, this is not just a black issue. This is not just a, a people of color issue. This is an issue that, that, fo that faces everybody, black, white, other, right? Um, so I, 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 what it, it makes sense. White silence is violence, and you get, and Isabella, you have, you gave a great analogy in terms of uh, bullying. You know, if you you see someone being bullied, and if you don't say anything, um, if you, uh, and I'm not saying this, you need to get in there and fight for the person, but you see it, you call it out, right? Some something's going wrong here, um, and so, so yeah, that's those are my thoughts on that. I, I. I you know, that's not that's not something that I readily use right now, but I agree with it. You know, when you're when you're silent, you, when you see something going on, um, and you don't call it out, you don't recognize, you don't try to do what you whatever whatever it is you need to do within your space to tackle that, then you're just as much part of the problem. Um, you may not be doing doing it yourself. Um, but you, you're just as just as much as part of the problem as the actual um, perpetrator, so to speak. Um, yeah. So I, I don't personally uh, use the phrase or anything, but I I agree in the sense that if if you do see some wrong, you need to at least speak up about it. You know, make sure that it is known to those people that can do something about it um, and things, no matter what that is. Um, especially you know over the summer, you know we did see that it became a very 
very, you know, a racial um, or ethnic issue um, that, you know, there needed to be some speaking out from all communities saying like, hey, this needs to be fixed. Um, and I think so long as it, it can stay within a, a context of like, as long as you see wrongdoing and it's not trying to go too far and things that like, if it is to, you know, to institute some reform that can help all communities that, you know, it, it's good in that sense. Since we're talking about the Black Lives Matter movement, and I know there was a protest in Mount Vernon a few months ago. Um, if there's another protest in the area um, and the police department, our very own police department, decide to intervene, how would you all feel? Well, um, at, at some point, if say the protest was to turn into something like we have seen in other cities, which I, I highly doubt it would. Um, that's where I would see the Mount Vernon Police Department um, having a need to step in. Um, but if it's something, at least like what I, I saw pictures over the summer, um, I, I think that there really isn't a need for them to step in um, and things. I mean, like they can be there just making sure everything's you know safe, you know, if another group were to show up in, you know, protest of this protest, you know, then, you know, there would probably be a need for them to be there. But yeah, I, I, there is sort of the need just in case things, something does happen that wouldn't necessarily have been a planned event um, and things. So yeah, that's kind of where I, I stand on that. So I'm, I'm fine with them being there in the event that something were to happen. Um, I think it definitely... Uh, depends on exactly how the MVPD would intervene. I think generally it is preferable that police not be present at BLM protests as their presence can um, be a triggering um, thing just in itself. And with, with BLM protests, there is a strong emphasis on peaceful demonstrations that are just calling for justice for victims of police brutality. And I think above all, the most important thing is for the community to feel safe and to exercise their right to protest. And I do have a statistic to back me up that um, in an article by ACLED, which is a nonprofit data and statistics resource, um, in more than 93% of demonstrations associated with BLM, they have not engaged in violence. So um, I, I definitely, yeah, it, it depend on how the police show up, um, if they are sometimes we can see in cities they arrive with um, tear gas and pepper spray and they are already sabotaging triage stations. Um, I hardly doubt that would be the case in a small town like Mount Vernon. Um, but yeah, it, it, I think it is most preferable they not be there, but it definitely also depends on how they show up. Honestly, I'd, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be shocked if they were to intervene um, for every reason that um, Blake and Isabella um, said. Yeah, I, I, I mean, you know, if you know, if it's because, because one, you gotta look at the, look at the community that we're in. Um, you know, it's college students, families. Um, so most of the people that 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 are, that are here are probably gonna stay away from tearing up literally their own their own homes right you know if they were to step in i'd, I'd be shocked um i'd be i'd be surprised like well what, what's going on um as isabella said um i don't think they're gonna you know, the, the mvp is gonna show up with tear gas and and in riot gear so yeah and it, like i said if they did i'm like what 
how how did we get here? You know, what like what's what's you know who who did what and where and where and and where and where did they come from for 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 the MVP MVP MVPD to show up and intervene into the um, into the protest. So one of my staff members wanted to ask this. Um, since we're living in a crazy pandemic, um, how do you all feel about the politicization of COVID? Um, I think it just follows the trend of the current political atmosphere and things. Um, everything nowadays, no matter what it is, seems to be highly politicized. And it was no surprise that COVID eventually followed in every other thing's footsteps. Um, I think if we really want to try to get some things done, you know, get the country back on step, get COVID dealt with, we really need to take it, get it unpoliticized and really make sure that it becomes a bipartisan and even nonpartisan issue. You know, we, yes, we might have differences about how we, you know, want to get it done. And I think using those differences and, you know, discussing those differences in the civil discourse in the Congress and um, at the executive level, we can, you know, hopefully start to unpoliticize it and maybe get, you know, into a position where we can, you know, help other countries around the world. Um, I think just generally the politicization of any human and environmental rights is a very negligent and appalling thing to do. It's just the fight between Republicans and Democrats has become a, just a very disrespectful and frankly embarrassing spectacle. Because uh, while these politicians are making fun of each other for you know, things like physical appearance or behavior, people are losing their jobs and then their health care due to COVID. And we have the highest death toll of the pandemic in the world. And I like how um, Blake said that, you know, we also have the responsibility and the ability because of our resources and just being a superpower to help other countries as well. Honestly put, it's disgusting. I'm, I'm to be to be to be completely honest. Um, you know, as Isabella said, you know, we have over 200 people, 200,000 people have died. Um, millions of people have been affected by it. Um, where they lost jobs, um, school systems are are in disarray. Um, food sources. Um, there's all these different things that are affected, and it, it's not a political. It's not a political issue. This is a this is a public health issue. Um, and as Blake, as Blake said, um, you know, this should be a, a nonpartisan, you know, like as we as, as American people should be walking in, all right, what do we need to do as a, as a community to take care of this? Now, yes, you know, our politicians are, are elected officials and they are you know, supposed to lead the country and things like that, of course, right? That's why they're there. But that being said, um, it doesn't stop with, with just them either. Now, us as community members need to figure out like, what what do we need to do as a college community to make sure we, uh, as, community, as Cornell stay safe, as Mount Vernon stay safe, Iowa, and so on and so on. But the way we've um, we politicized it, it's, I mean, it, I, don't, I don't know about, <laughs> as an as a, as a administrator to say that it's disgusting. It, it, it really makes me upset because millions of people's lives are being affected by it. And, and it should, and it, and it really shouldn't be that way. You know, the fact that, um, as I said, we have politicians going back and forth at, at one another about it. You know, and I, and I, I, I honestly feel so, not almost. I feel bad, but I'm like, I don't know how to explain that to our to to you young people. You know, you know, we're watching. You know, you know, I don't know, I don't know how to 
but hey, let's, hey, I know you all seen our leaders do it. Hey, that's not how it should work. And but you're like, well, that's their leaders, right? So it's yeah, I agree, Blake. I agree, Isabella. It's it's not where we should be, and it's 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 frustrating. We have no control over what's going to happen to our country, um, our community, and ourselves. Um, but if there's one thing we can do is to have the courage to show up. Um, so that's what Brene Brown describes as vulnerability. Um, so is there anything you would like to share to our listeners um, on what it means to have courage in these rough times? Um, I'll start with you, Isabella. Yeah, I think that we actually do have the ability to um, affect our future. I, <laughs> I draw a lot of my just general feelings of hope as being a history student and um, mm -hmm. throughout history, people have thought this is the end of the world. I can't change this. Um, we've seen you know, um, revolutions of workers and people overthrow hundreds of years of um, monarchy at the thought that they were, you know, ruled by divine right. And um, I, so words of encouragement, I just really think that this is a time to strengthen our community, to share and take care of each other and to stay aware of current events, but also to take care of your own mental health and just check in on your friends and family regularly. I would also uh, agree with Isabel on her statement that, you know, we can, um, you know, help with change, especially, you know, in this country, you get the chance to vote every two and every four years um, to, you know, put people in the government that will do hopefully what you want. And if they don't, you kick them out. Um, and hopefully the next person in there will do what you want them to. And so, yeah, uh, sort of like courage in these, in these tough times, it's, I know for my group and things, it's been difficult trying to, you know, work with the tech and stuff to try to, you know, get meetings put together, try to put events on, but, you know, we've started to do events again. We just, you know, had a tabling event for voter education week and we had a, a great uh, amount of turnout. You know, we had a lot of people come by and everything. So hopefully, um, as we start to do these things, you know, more members of the community uh, um, will hopefully also, you know, kind of see that there is a way that we can kind of continue on in this, you know, kind of this difficult time. Yeah, and I'd also just like to add that YDSA very much is um, where our primary concern is just um, the well-being and of students and workers on campus and uh, very much dealing with um, the pandemic as people feel isolated and anxious. And um, right now we're working on a, a mental health campaign to strengthen and expand resources on campus for students. I will say, I think if you, so if you all, and I'm, I'm, I'm happy to see another historian on this call. Um, so if you look at all the movements in our, in our country, starting from, let's say starting from 1776, right? Every movement has been led by young people, um, whether, whether it was the Revolutionary War, whether it was the Chicano movement, whether it's the Black, Pop, Black Panther uh, movement, every, just about every movement that was led by young people and holding, <laughs> sorry, Jen, holding us old folks, <laughs> or holding us, hold, holding that, that old, that upper generation accountable. Um, like you said, like, um, no, it's it's about you know you all seeing hey there's an issue um, let's work together and, and fix this issue and then holding our leaders accountable for for their actions and 
once again, Blake, you brought up a good point on making sure you're voting every two and four years. But I'm, I want to add to that. It's not just about looking at the presidential election. You know, what are you doing for your state senate, um, your representatives, your your um, your sheriffs, your district attorneys, your school boards, your mayors, um, aldermen, whatever. No, your whatever. Every everything from top to bottom. I mean, even down to Parks and Rec. You know, you have to know. You know, those are those are elect, elected officials. And if you really want to see change, it's not just about what we do. You know, on November third for the presidential election. That's the that's that's in all in all honesty. That's the that's not the most important election. You know, you know, you know. So and, and I'm looking at as I look at this call, all of you all from different places. Like, you know, do you know who who's on the school board? You know, Jennifer has children. I'm sure she really wants to know who's on that school board, right? Now, I don't know if you all have younger brothers or sisters or cousins and uh, nieces and nephews who are still in K through 12. You know, who are you? Those are the people that are making those decisions for you, for for those for the kids and roads and things like that. And so, yes, definitely take care of yourself. And that's why if you, if you do this as a as a community, to, to Isabella Isabella's point, you could make sure that you're taking care of yourself. Like, hey, Isabella, I'm tired. You 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 take this week, or whatever you know, and whatever that looks like. And that's and that's and and you think about the community as opposed to just. Well, I'm gonna do this one thing, and that's it. Like, how how are we working together as a unit? Um, and then, and and once we get to that point where we're thinking about community, and we're thinking about being communal, then we can truly start seeing the change that we need. Because we're really seeing a culture shift in our country right now, um, a culture shift that none of us have have ever seen. Um, for historians in the room, the way I'm, this looks like 1968 to me. There was a huge culture shift. Um, this looks like. Uh, right around the Civil War, there was a huge culture shift, right? And so we're seeing it. And so that's why I think a lot of people are like, oh my God, it's the end of times. No, it's just another culture shift that this country is going through. All right, I'll get off my soapbox, sorry. So um, I know ICL is doing power hours. Um, you two um, are coming up with events. Um, I should have asked this earlier. Where are the college Democrats? Um, because that has been a question that I have been receiving. And I, I mean, the only thing I'll share personally is um, I was a member of the Democrats before and I don't know where they are. So I don't know, this is a question specifically for you, Isabella. Was the socialists and the Democrats like just in one group now or are you guys still a separate um, organization? Yeah, we are a separate organization. I do not know what the um, the Democrats are doing, um, but I mean, anyone is welcome on YDSA, a part of our, uh, I mean, it stands for Young Democratic Socialists of America. So it definitely, we're open to anybody, but to answer your question, no, I don't know what the college Democrats are or where they're doing. <laughs> so like, I know we've previously um, talked about this before, but if there's no college Democrats on campus, then we couldn't invite speakers, right? Um, can you clarify on that one? Yeah, at least from what I was told when I was sort of forming the group is that there has to be an air of sort of this, the campus isn't partisan. So we want to make sure that both groups, you know, are here and that they can both have speakers present. That way, you know, the campus doesn't get in any trouble for just only having one side speaking. Um, and things that it 
also helps us, you know, and things. So that way we can also do events with the college Democrats where we can host a debate or we can do two competing town halls or something. And I guess to kind of answer the last question is I also don't know what has happened with the college Democrats. And I used to talk with uh, their president and vice president and I don't even know. Um, so hopefully I've offered to help um, them try the process of, you know, getting people back into it and stuff like that. So we'll see where that goes. Short, short answer. I'm not too sure neither. Um, and I know we had a pretty, they were pretty active the last few years that I've been here. Um, I'm not too sure about this year, but, but I think that's just the, that's the honesty for, for the young people in the room and people who are listening, that's the ebbs and flows of student pro, of student groups. You know, you know there's 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 a lot. There's gonna be a lot of ups and downs. Um, now you would think with it being an election year, but those are the ups and downs. And you know, some years the you know, groups are strong, and you know, some years are not. So, you know, for example, I'm I'm I'm, I'm happy to, I'm happy to see that Blake is kind of taking taking the flag for flag so to speak for the college Republican. Um, for two years before that, there there was there was some down years for them. So it's 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 going to be ebbs and flows in terms of student program student organizations. So um, follow up follow up question: If there was like a college, um, if someone wants to start a, a college Democrats on campus, um, would that be considered allowing like more for more than one side in the left political spectrum? I don't know how to really answer that question because that kind of sounds like um, something the school would regulate um, more so than we would because I, at least for our group, um, yes, we are socialists and communists, but um, on campus, we are primarily focused on local campaigns and just being here for whatever students have problems or issues with. So like I mentioned, mental health campaign, um, we don't see that as a, a need to bring in um, a, a speaker or something. I mean, I, I definitely think we haven't considered bringing in speakers or um, kind of that political component. It's more like, hey, people said they want more resources on campus to deal with the pandemic and with the stress of the election. Something we worked on in the past when we were student action is uh, was a, a tuition freeze or um, stopping the stop list, which just continued to further hurt um, low-income students. So um, to answer the question still in a more broad way, we are primarily focused on not so much on bringing politics on campus, um, but more so on local campaigns to help students and workers. And going off of that still, we want to be a resource that if people are interested in um, learning more about leftist theory or something like that, we also are, we have a, um, a Marxist reading group and that's just to, you know, help educate people who are interested in learning more. So yeah, that's where I'll end. To quickly, I guess, answer the question, I don't, I don't think that it would be two against one, so to speak, because of, um, correct me if I'm wrong, um, Isabella, um, they're, I mean, the Democratic Party is very different than what, than, than what they believe. So, so you say essentially you have three, you have a... Yeah, very much so. Yeah, so it's, it's no, so it's, it's really three separate 
um, political ideologies that are on campus now. And so, so no, I mean, it, it's, it, it's not a you know, two, two on one or, um, yes, there's democratic within their name, but, um, but if you understand socialist party, it's not, a, it's very different from the democratic party. And it's, and yeah, it's very different. And, and it's very different than what people, what people even think of socialism, right? Um, it's, it's not necessarily a, a, a political, it's more of a economic, Thought process, but it's, it's much more broader, and I'm not going to go down that rabbit hole. But, um, but yeah, but no. Short answer, no. It's not. It's not two on one. It's three separate groups. Uh, yeah, I, I would agree with Hemi and things that it, it would sort of be the three separate groups. So it's not going to be you know two against one. Uh, although for some members in the group, it could feel that way. I don't see it that way and things. And I think if there was some question into you know would it be perceived as this, you know, leaning too much one way over another. Uh, I think that would have to come down to, you know, the decision of student senate and the decision of civic engagement ultimately being kind of under their purview. Thank you all for joining us. Oh, this was a good conversation.